Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name is Eric, if you don't know me, and we'd love to get to know you or answer any questions you have. Uh, the Welcome Center out in the courtyards, there's a gift for you and also available to help get you connected to our church in any way. Um, just a few things before we hop in. One, uh, we want to praise God. I don't know if you know Kevin and Cassidy Mencius. Kevin's our uh, junior high director. They just had their daughter, Emerson Grace. So we're excited. We want to praise God for that. Yeah, so we see them and congratulate them. And uh, we're just really excited to have her to our church family. And then uh, 6, 12, June 12th, we'll start classes again. And so if you want to do that at the 1030 or at the 10 o'clock hour, you can go ahead and just look uh, through what classes will be there. Uh, to help you kind of grow in your faith, or you're really interested in moving that next step in discipleship, you can do that as well. So here we are. We're in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. And so uh, one of the things I just kind of want to draw to your attention is that the Old Testament is a little different in the New Testament, that in the New Testament, you see a lot of clear imperatives. Do this. Don't do that. And so it's really easy to see like the explicit or obvious commands. Well, when we're in what's called historical narrative, uh, real events that happened, uh, the imperatives are within the narrative, um, but they're not always um, going to be labeled out. And so in order to help us kind of see what is the text saying, it's important that you guys, you take notes and you track who are the characters and what is going on so that when you get to an event, you see the full weight of what's happening because you understand the context of what's happening in that person's life. Um, what God has been doing with them. And so when they come to that moment, it's like, oh, wow, that makes so much more sense. And so what I want to do is just kind of briefly walk through so that as we get into chapter three, we're fresh on where we're at and what God is doing and kind of just look and think through three characters that we have right here. We have Hannah, we have Eli, and we have Samuel. Those are our three important characters. And it's important to understand, you know, that Hannah starts off and brings something that I think is still a struggle to this day. She has an infertility issue. And then she is heartbroken about it. She is just beside herself that she cannot bear a child. And she's crying to the Lord and she's trying to figure this out. And one of the things, sadly, that hasn't changed is that she's being mocked and made fun of by her friends. What's wrong with you? Why can't this happen? Just read through chapter one. It's right there. And so you have this woman who is, is trying to figure out, does God not love me? Why can I not do this? And so she just faithfully begins to pray and to do this. And then you have Eli, right, the priest. He is the, the judge at that time. There weren't kings. And so he would judge Israel and he would tell them, this is what God's doing. And then Hannah's going to give this child. God ends up blessing her with the child. And she ends up literally giving it to the Lord by taking Samuel, our third character, to the temple and saying, here you go, Lord. He's yours. Take him. And so that's kind of our setting as we walk into that. Um, but just a couple questions to kind of help you understand maybe some of the emotion behind what's going on. I just want you to think through this is, you know, if you drop your kids off at the church, we're going to give them back to you, right? So we don't fully understand that here. Some of you are laughing like, dang it. Yeah, you have to pick them up after the service. So, but in here, you look through chapter two, it says that she would make little robes and she would bring them to him each time of year. She literally had this child, nursed this child, and then gives the child and says, God, he's yours. 
And when we say that, oh yeah, the kids are a gift from the Lord, and, and you know, they're at his service, and we can't quite reenact that. But one thing you can do for just one second, I just want you to think about this, is you can visibly think of the salmons and visibly think, what if your child came to you and said, I want to go to the ends of the earth. I want to go where Muslims hate Christians. And I want to share the gospel there. And then not only that, I'm going to have my kids there, your grandkids, and you're never going to see them. They're going to grow up in a culture that's scary and dangerous. Then that begs the question, do you really think your kids are God's? You see a little bit of the weight now? So she finally gets this kid. And God's like, you need to give him. And so she walks him and she gives him and he's now in charge in the care of Eli, which is scary. Why? Well, read chapter two. Eli's sons were known through all the town for being promiscuous. If you don't know what that is, ask Pastor Andy. He's smarter than me and he'll explain that. So, and it's not only that, but he's like, hey, sons. Eli's telling his sons, hey, people are talking. It's not good. You're not handling worship right and the sacrifices. You're taking what's God's. You're all around town doing things that you shouldn't. God is going to judge you. Why is that important? Because if you're Hannah, like that's the guy who's going to raise my kid. Right? His sons are terrible. So you have Eli, old at the end, whose sons are running around, raising up a young boy who is now probably going to be about 15 years of age. The text starts off with, he has this hard to see. And God is going to speak through the kid he has now been raising, that he has been mentoring, trying to teach. Because what's about to happen is, is Samuel is about to be the last judge that Israel will ever have. Israel is in this deep tension of, we don't want God to be our king. We want a human king. And this is part of the overarching narrative you need to understand is that Israel is essentially saying we want God to be in charge of heaven and creation, but on the day-to-day things, we want to be in charge. And Samuel's going to step into that tension. And this is his starting point, how God has prepared him, is preparing him, his story of where he comes from. And so as we bring all of that into our text now, we're going to see is how is Samuel taught to listen to the Lord, to do what the Lord says, and why is it important? So I'm going to pray, and we'll hop right into chapter 3. God, we love you, uh, we praise you, and we thank you um, that you are in charge, and you are the king, but of all things, not just of heaven. And it's our prayer that we would listen to you, that we would seek you, um, that we would want to be just like you, and that we would want to do whatever you would ask. That we would have the heart of Samuel to say, here I am, your servant. What would you want from me? May that be our heart, to serve you and to love you and to do anything that you might ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the, some important things to think through, kind of how do you know when the king's talking to you? And the reason we're using God and king is A, he is, but B is to understand that God should always be in charge of all the facets of our life, even our children. Uh, To have the heart of Hannah, hey, I trust you, he's yours. That God prepared her all that time to say, okay, I get it. 
It's not my child, it's your child. I will have this child and I will give him to your service. And so how do we know when he's asking us things, when he's talking to us? Because this is how it starts off with, with Samuel. He thinks he hears a voice. He's like, is that, what is that? And he's like, what's going on? He's like, well, that's the Lord speaking to you. And when he talks, you, you need to approach it in this way. Yes, Lord, I am your servant. Look at verse 9. He tells him, for your servant hears. And so that sets the stage of you have a king talking to a servant. And so then once you engage in that prayer or you're looking through that, how do you know that it's the king? How do you know what he's saying? Um, as you look through this, you're going to see some key things. When, when Samuel is being told, asked by Eli, hey, what did he say? Eli receives what Samuel says. Why? Because it's consistent with what God had already told him. God warned him in chapter 1 and 2, hey, I'm going to judge you. If your sons don't correct their behavior, there will be judgment. So when Samuel tells him, hey, God's going to judge your family, what does he say in verse 18? He says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He knows God's already spoken this. Why am I going through this? Because when people say, I have a word from the Lord, it's one of the most abusive and manipulative statements that people have used. They have tried to manipulate women into marrying them. Oh, God told me. Like, well, of course God told you. She's way hotter than you. Like, right? It's very obvious. And it's like, that should be tested, not just taken. You laugh, but seriously, whenever I bring that up, there's women that tell me, I, I married that guy because he told me that. I don't think I would have done that. Okay, well, how do you think through that? Well, the scriptures, they tell us. Wisdom from above is. Let's go to James chapter 317. I just want you to think through some of these things. Okay, the, he says that wisdom from above is, first, pure. So to think through, this serve me. What I've noticed is most of the time when God's getting my attention, it's about something I don't want to do. Later on, that emotion will match it, but normally it's like, oh, wow. I don't know about that. I'm not sure what that looks like. Uh, one of the more, you know, recent stories, I remember it was years ago, when an elder in our church, he said, he said, Eric, you need to start preparing your heart and your mind. I'm like, why? He's like, God's going to grow this church. And I was like, what? It scared me to death. I'm like, the more I read Hebrews about accountability, I think we should have a church of 12. That seems much more manageable, right? And so like growing, I'm like, that seems very scary. But why did I accept that? One, it wasn't from me, because that's not what I was thinking. I was just trying to think, how do I stay alive, right? And so to think through that, but then two, God did grow our church. It was actually true. And so thinking through, where's, what are the motivating factors in that? They need to have pure motives, right? Next part, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Peaceable. If you're not at peace with it, what God is asking you, isn't it fair to say that maybe we shouldn't share it? If you're not sure, you know, just to, to keep praying through that. And you see that, especially with Jacob in, in Genesis, that he wrestles with God. And then he ends up submitting to God. He says, okay. He submits and he's at peace. So, but before we go and say, this is what God's trying to do. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, peace with it. Gentle and open to reason. Here's a Another thing to think through, are you willing to listen and receive contrary advice? Especially when it comes to missions. When someone's saying, God's calling me to go there. 
Like, okay, well, let's have a conversation first. Are you in debt? Are you leaving behind all of these unfinished responsibilities? Are you prepared to have a kid in a third world hospital? Are you prepared to be maybe, you know, hated? How is your marriage? How do you know the gospel? These are good questions to ask. True? And saying if it's from above, you will receive that. And that's why we go through this with people because they're saying, I've been called by the Lord. Well, let's test that. Is it peaceable? Are you open to reason? Are you gentle? Are you like, I don't care, I'm going, I'm doing it. You say, that's not from above. Right? Is it full of mercy? Or is it, hey, this is what has to happen because you're trying to correct something that you feel is unjust. You want to fix it. You want to drive it. Right? Is it good fruits? Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, walk through that, 22. Impartial and sincere. Is it really, really like you're just, I've prayed, I've given it time. This is just honestly what God is saying. I'm at peace with it. I've talked about it. Okay, those are just some guidelines to think through. Uh, when you're doing it. The antithesis of that is James 3, 14 through 15. If you're bitter or jealous, you have selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So you think of Hannah's situation. It's like, oh, God wants me to have a kid so that I can be like all the other women and I can feel adequate and I and I. It's like, no, that's selfish. The openness is, God, whatever you would want, open to reason, gentle, okay, Lord, at peace. He's his, not mine. And so just thinking through those attributes you see in Scripture, is it consistent with what I see? Is it consistent with God's character? This is why Eli, when he hears Samuel tell him, God is going to judge your family, he's like, yep, he already said that. Sounds right. God does not speak against himself. The other part of this to check in verse 1 is that you cannot conjure up God to speak. You know, there's weird churches nowadays that they think if they bark and bring incense and candles and fog machines and lasers, they they can summon the Lord. What does verse 1 tell you? It says, the Lord in the presence of Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. What does that tell you? That God speaks when God wants. We can't, we don't just have a free pass to God, you will listen to me. You are welcome here. Like, he doesn't need a welcome. He's everywhere. You ever think about that? You should. He doesn't need a welcoming. He's omnipresent. He speaks when he wants to. And when he speaks, the proper response is what you see in Samuel your servant hears. So there's no conjuring. Again, he's the king. Um, good quote I came across in my study says this, says, man cannot coerce, manufacture, manipulate, or produce that word. Only Yahweh, God, can give it. And turning out more graduates from theological seminaries or religion departments will do nothing to change that. The word of Yahweh is his gift to his people, and in Shiloh, time was seldom given. So it's important to realize We're going to pray, we're going to seek the Lord, but it doesn't mean he says, I will respond when you summon. The second part of that is that he has responded through his word. There's so much that he already has told us. And so people say, well, I just need to know God's will. I just need to know God's will. 
Well, are we talking about where you should eat lunch? Or are we talking about your character? Are we talking about your morals? Are we talking about your behaviors and your attitudes? Because that's all right in Scripture. And if you weigh your decisions against what's already there, God is speaking to you. And if it's from the Lord, it won't change. You know, some false religions, they have what's called a living prophet. And so the living prophet can change. Drinking caffeine is a sin. Now it's not a sin. Polygamy is not a sin. Oh, you want us to become a state. We think it is a sin, right? They can change that. You don't see that with God. He says he's unchanging. You don't have to worry about, did he change his mind? No, no, no. He spoke and it is. So knowing the king's voice is very important. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 tells us God is not a God of confusion. He's not going to change his mind over here, over there. And you're like, wait, what do I do? Oh, no, no, he changed. What do I do? He tells the truth. You can trust him. And so knowing his voice, these are things in Scripture we can weigh it against, that he's clear, he's consistent, and that there's passages we can weigh them against. Um, but my best advice to you, which you're probably not going to like it, is, is that you have to have what I would call trial and error. There's going to come a point where you've prayed, you feel at peace, you, you've been open to reason, you've sought the Scripture, and you're just going to learn, man, I was dead wrong. And it's like, okay, that wasn't the Lord. Okay, so then what, what can I learn from that and see this is kind of where my sinfulness is and this is where God was. Just some, some practical advice. Overestimate your sin. Okay, there's sinfulness in us and there's selfishness in us. And it's really easy to take our selfishness and read God's will into it. And when you say, I really feel like God is doing this, be open and say, I think. Because if he is, it will, it will reveal itself. But if you're wrong, you want that, I think. Because you know what happened in the Old Testament when you were wrong about what God said? You were stoned. If we brought that back, it would solve this, right? It really would. You wouldn't see so many televangelists. They'd be scared out of their mind because people with rocks would be chasing them. Okay, so listening to the king, right? So far, we kind of knowing his voice, but too, it's like listening. You have to actually listen. And, and this is what's so important. Let's look at verse 9. He says, for your servant hears. Your servant hears. He's like, I'm here to do what you want. Whatever it might be, he has that mindset. And here's the thing. If we're listening, generally what you see in the Scripture is God is reminding them about himself. He's reminding them about what he has already done. We get caught up in the new and the future. But look at John 14, 26. What does it say? It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, catch it, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, Ephesians 1 is very clear. All that we need, we have in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit that dwells in us is reminding us this is who God is. This is what Christ has done. And so many times we think, I don't know the answer. It's like, yes, you do. You just don't like reading your Bible or praying. Right? So you're like, I don't know about that, Eric. Well, let's go to Amos chapter 8, 11 through 12. When you think God's very clear with them, hey, you're going to go through a time of silence. Why? Look at this. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. 
They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. What is he getting at? He's saying, they're going to seek me, but not find me. Why? Because they're not listening. This is why you look in chapter 3, it says it wasn't frequent. Why? Because the priests weren't listening to God. He was very clear. Take the meat. All of it goes to God. The leftovers can happen. You're not to be promiscuous with others. He's saying, don't do this. Like They're not listening. That's why they're not hearing his voice. The absence of God has more to do with our desire for God than it does him. He's always available. He's always there. He's already spoken. It says that we can go to him at any time. So when we're not feeling like he's talking to us, it's more about our reluctance to actually want to do what he might say. Because he might, like Hannah, say, hey, you need to bring your child and give him to me. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I just want you to affirm my plans that you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from yourself. You don't want to do what Samuel has to do. He has to go look his mentor. He's 14, 15 years old. An old, wise man who is in charge of Israel. He's the judge of Israel. And tell him, God's going to judge your whole family. Saying, you don't want to do that. Yeah, that's because we don't really want to do what God says. That's what he's saying. You don't want to hear. So the first thing about listening is, am I really willing to listen to whatever he might say? That he might say, give me your kid. Give me your time. Go have this hard conversation. Trust me with everything you have. Because that's a part of truly listening. And that sometimes the silence for God is more about our loss or lack of appetite for who he is. This is why the Sermon on the Mount, right? What's it tell us? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, whatever it takes to be right with you, hunger and thirst. This is when God says he speaks. We're the servant. Whatever you want, whatever you require, I will do it. And so asking ourselves, okay, do I know who he is so that when he speaks, I know it's consistent with his character and nature? And then when, he, when, I, when I come, am I willing to say whatever you want? And then the next part is, whatever you want, I will actually do. And this is the tension you see with Samuel in verse 15. It says, Samuel lay until morning. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell his vision to Eli. He was afraid. And here's what we have to know. You, you, you're thinking, is this from the Lord? Is this from the Lord? And then he, he comes, he hears, and he's afraid. Saying, God, I don't know if I can do that. God, I don't know if I want to do that. But the irony is the reason the other priests are in trouble is because they're not doing what God asked. We have to do what God asks the way God says because he's the king. And we have to stop trying to divorce this idea that he's in heaven and he rules heaven, but we rule earth. And God might ask us to do things that we don't necessarily like or we think are strange, like give me your child. He's going to be set apart for my purpose. The, the part they struggled with in this text is that they didn't know how to worship. They didn't worship properly. properly. Look at 229. This is what God's saying. He says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor, right? And he's saying literally, Eli, 
you care more about your sons liking you than my honor and my praise. Yes, you are their father, but you are mine first, and I am yours first. They come second. Yes, you cannot control your son's behavior, but you could make them not priests. You can say you will not be a priest because you're not doing it the way God asked. Literally, it says that in 29. You're not doing the way I commanded for my dwelling. God says you're to worship me like this. And the sons are like, nah, he doesn't need all the meat. I kind of like the filet. I'll take the filet, right? I don't know if it was a cow, but I'm imagining, right? He's like, yeah. And God says, no, 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 no. You're making a mockery of this. Worship is not about you. It is about me. And I said, this is what you do to worship me. It's my requirement. It doesn't matter. You're like, well, it's just going to get burned. God doesn't really need it. He's not going to eat it. He's all-knowing. He doesn't need anything. That's not the point. You're the servant. He's the king. And the king said, you worship me like this. I get all the meat. I get all of it. It's mine. And he's saying, they're not going to do it. Therefore, I'm going to judge them. And Eli, I warned you. You didn't do it. I warned you. And this is Samuel's first introduction to being the judge. Scary moment, isn't it? It is. The scarier part is that we don't realize this still applies to us today. We think worship's about us. Heck, no, we don't. Yeah, we do. Because this is the question you see after church. How was worship? It was okay. I didn't really like that song. Guitar was kind of loud. Didn't really care for the drums. That's going, no, no, no. I would have liked it to be like this. I don't think God needs all this. It should look like this. What is God saying? No, worship is about us giving to him. So then what's the proper question if someone says, hey, how was worship? I was distracted. I was struggling. Or man, I, I just sang my heart out, practically lost my voice. Guy in front of me is probably angry, right? Like I gave it all. I sang it all. Or, you know, I, I, I wept. I was like Job. I feel like I'm losing everything, but I know he's good. I know he's great. And I just sang. I, I, I did my absolute best. Or I'm so distracted. Can't stand my job. Marriage is a mess. And I, just, I couldn't focus. That's the proper response. Because worship's about giving and attesting to him. And they're being judged for saying, no, 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 we'll do it like this. He's literally judging them for their offering not being proper. And I'm sympathetic to the sons. I get it. God doesn't need all this. That's not the point. He asks for all of it. So you give all of it. If he says to Hannah, I want your son, you give your son. If he says, I want all the meat, he gets all the meat. If he says, go tell Eli he's going to be judged, you go tell Eli he's going to be judged. And what does the Bible tell us? To worship him in spirit, in truth, tells us to sing, tells us to be a living sacrifice, gives us multiple ways to worship. But singing is one of them. And so it's hard. And I get it's hard to get to church sometimes. I get it. You want to kill your spouse. Your kids don't listen. Your hair's on fire. You come in and you're like, words on the screen is the last thing you're thinking about. I get it. But that's why worship starts tomorrow. Saturday night, preparing your heart 
So that regardless if you like the instruments, you can look at the words or you can sit down and pray and you can attest his beauty, his glory, his worthiness, his majesty, his might, his providence. This is why Psalm 30 tells us, sing, praise, right? Sing praises to the Lord. Give him thanks to his holy name. This is why sometimes, you know, when I go to church on vacation, I'll walk in, I'm like, this is crazy. Because you just never know what you're going to get. You try to do your research, but people lie on the internet, I tell you. So, and it's like, okay, I can't sing that. What am I going to do? I'm going to pray. I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to attest. You know, the opposite happens to me sometimes too, where I'll, I'll know a song and I'm just thinking about my childhood and I'm like, oh, that's not worship. Because it's nostalgic. It's about me and remembering where I was on that day. Instead of being like, no, 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 these words are about you and they're true words and I'm thankful for those words. And it's getting that wrapped around our heads every single day. And Sunday is the catalyst that explodes into the rest of the week where we just spent time attesting and praising and thanking and listening and hearing from his word. Asking the question, am I giving him my best? Am I serving him my best? And what's getting in the way? Can we have the heart of how this ends? Listen to, to Eli in this. So Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. You imagine being an older man, and you're trusting this random 14-year-old who got dropped off to you as A, from the Lord, and B, doesn't even know how to listen to the Lord. You just taught him. And the first words out of his mouth are, God is going to judge you. He says, yeah. He trusts it's the Lord. Why? Because the Lord had already told him. You think about it. He's judging his household. He says, whatever the Lord seems good, he's the king. See, Eli messed up as a father. But he understands that is the king's God-given right as the king. Let it stand. He is teaching Samuel, even when it comes to your own family, even when it comes to the hardest thing, the Lord gets what the Lord wants. You trust the Lord. Then look at the next verse. And then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. See, this is our problem now. God speaks. And I'm like, oh, but I don't want him to speak about marriage, swearing, alcohol, addiction, worship. Oh, no, no, no. So just these parts. See, Samuel, God spoke, and the task is say exactly what he says. And people are going to hate you. They're going to revile you. They're not going to like you. See how judges get treated in the Bible. Because people don't like it. It says, this moment prepared him to not let any of the words fall to the ground. Because when we truly seek to listen to the Lord and he actually speaks, it's going to be hard sometimes. We say, I got to do exactly what he's telling me to do. Some questions for us to think through. Does it still amaze you that the great and holy God actually has something to say to you? It should, that God still desires to speak to his people. 
that he is a relational father. Not that he needs from us, but he desires for us to know him and have communion or relationship, fellowship with him. That's a big thing, isn't it? Thank you. The two of us are really excited about that, okay? There's a God who cares. That's a big deal. Because yeah, when he asks us to do hard things, you, you got to understand it's in the context of a loving, all-knowing, perfect father. Two, it is a sobering thought that starvation may not mean lack of food, but of appetite. Is your appetite for God's word still there? Right? Is it still there? Is it the heart of Samuel? Your servant hears. And it's this, whatever you might have, when you come to your Bible, there's going to be times you come to your Bible and you're like, man, God's telling me I got to forgive. He's telling me I got to love. He's telling me I got to repent. There's going to be other times when you're in Leviticus and you're like, I got to sacrifice a goat. Wait, that doesn't make any sense, right? And you're like, I don't, I don't know. And you're like, well, okay. So you're like, you're praying through it. Okay, God, what does that mean? What are you asking me to do? Oh, okay. That was about trust. I need to trust you. Working through, what is it saying? What is it saying? Is it consistent with what? he says about himself. Three, what is the primary way God speaks to us and how can you make sure you're hearing from God? I'm going to tell you, the primary way he speaks is through his word. It's the primary way. I'm not going to put God in a box and say that he doesn't speak to people and dreams and visions and, and these things. Sure, sure, you see it. It happens. But when you, when you think of those stories, it's God revealing himself for the first time that people would know him and love him because there's no church there. So God draws them to himself, puts his spirit in them, and they become the first Christian in that area. And then you see them work to get a church, get the Bible translated, and then that church becomes the communication to the community about who God is and what he requires. So it's not, we don't want to limit God that he can't speak in that way. He does, but his primary is through his word. And are we okay with that? Are we open to what he might say? And, and, and praying through that and weighing that against. Uh, God does have a lot to say to us if we'll actually, you know, take the time to read and to pray and to think and to wrestle. Four, how do we make a mockery of worship now? And how can we keep worship about God's glory? Because that's exactly what happened in the text. They made it about, he doesn't need that. He needs this. He doesn't want that. He wants that. It became about the sons. We deserve that food. It should be for us. It makes us feel us, us, us. And God's like, no, it's me. It's me. It's me. All right, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to teach you. What a lesson for Samuel to learn. My prayer is that we would learn. And that we would do all that he asks. That we would come to him and say, your servant is here. Your servant here is God. Whatever you want, I want to do. Because I love you and I trust you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's perfect. It's accurate. It's helpful. And it's our prayer that, that we would see in this story the way you speak to us as a king, the heart of a servant to listen, the heart of a servant to act on what is said by the king at any cost, for any reason, for your glory, because the servant trusts the king. May that be us. May we trust our king. 
trust him in all facets of our lives, from parenting to marriage to finances to hobbies to health to having kids, not having kids. In all facets, may we trust you. And as we go to a time of worship, may we sing true words about you, focus on you, give all of our heart, mind, and soul to you in this moment to just lift you up and sing how great you are, that this church would be a church that truly believes in your goodness and greatness and gives you all that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.